there's so many different chasms that we need to bridge. And my mentor, John Powell, always says there's short bridges and long bridges. Long bridges are, wow, it's going to take a while for us to cross those differences. That's pretty irreconcilable. I have very strong beliefs about that. But then there's shorter bridges. We have differences in age, or maybe you live in a rural town. I live in an urban city. There might be some easier short bridges for you and that person to cross first. That's true in a marriage. That's true in a work relationship. Start with the shorter ones. Oh, my friends, you are in for such an experience today. I can't even wait. I am delighted to introduce my guest, Scott Shigeoka. Did I say that right? You did. I put ah. the gay in Shigeoka. Yeah, I put the gay in Shigeoka. So. <laughs> I just put the gay in Shigeoka. <laughs> yeah, Shigeoka. There you go. Love it. <laughs> Scott is an internationally recognized curiosity expert, speaker, and the author of Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. He is known for translating research into strategies that promote positive well-being and connected relationships around the globe, including at the UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and through his groundbreaking courses at the University of Texas at Austin. Scott implements his curiosity practices in the public sector, Fortune 500 companies, Hollywood, media organizations, education institutions, and small businesses. My people. Yeah. <laughs> this is a conversation I've been wanting to bring for so long. Scott's book that is upcoming is called Seek. Scott, what I want to start with is just by sharing an observation I have about curiosity. Mm, yeah, I want to hear Curiosity it. is like that word, like vulnerability. Mm -hmm. People are throwing it around right, left, and center. We all know it's a good thing. It's a kind of a buzzword. Start by maybe how you got into this mm -hmm. as a topic and then how you came to realize that we were missing the how. First of all, to just start with definitions, because I think that is so important. Curiosity is the desire to understand. But what I'm really talking about is deep curiosity, a curiosity that dives beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And that is defined as a desire to understand so that it can be a force of connection and transformation. So the type of curiosity I'm talking about is connection and transformation. Yeah. And it gives me the chills. And it is so, so powerful. It's on a spectrum too, right? There's more shallow curiosity. Hey, what's your name? What do you do for work? Where do you live? But then there's a deeper curiosity, which is what's the story of your name? Who named you? Tell me about them. What does home feel like for you? What do you want home to feel like for you? When do I know you're really flourishing? How can I support you in those moments? And that just goes a lot deeper to the stories, the values, that really juicy stuff. Yeah. And like an ocean, shallow is not bad. The shallow water is not bad. It's just the gateway into the deep, right? Like you want to go to a business conference and say, tell me about your deepest childhood trauma, right? I mean, as the first question, <laughs> I mean, before like, what's your name? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would be open to that. Yeah. You know, I will go there with you immediately before knowing your name, yeah. but not everyone will be. Not everyone's yeah. open to that or comfortable with that or feel safe to do that, right? So you yeah. have to do it in an appropriate way. But the origin story of curiosity for me is just, I mean, we're A, we're all born with curiosity. We know that from the social science. Infants look at novel stimuli longer than known ones. So we're born with this curiosity. It comes from our ancestors. If we didn't have curiosity within our group, 
we wouldn't have found the water just around the riverbed. We wouldn't have found the other food source that was over the mountaintop. We needed to be curious so that we could learn how to build tools and we could learn from each other. But what we also know from the research about curiosity is it's there's social curiosity. Curiosity is core for us to improve our relationships to others, also to ourselves, even to the divine and to God and to consciousness or however you define that. And that's why I call upon the three cardinal directions of curiosity in the book. Your inward, getting curious about yourself, is what you might do in therapy, getting curious about your own stories, your emotions. Then there's outward, getting curious about others. So how do you get curious about what they want? Maybe it's your partner or someone you work with on a project or supervise. And then there's the beyond, which is, it doesn't even have to have religious connotations. It can be those who have passed or those who are not born yet, right? Seven generations from now who aren't on the physical realm. Mm -hmm. And I love curiosity. I mean, I think you can just hear it from my voice. <laughs> like I yeah. get so enthusiastic about it yeah. because I know all of the benefits. You know, it reduces our anxiety. It reduces our fear. It can help us strengthen connections with others. It curious people are happier people. But really my origin story and curiosity is about division and is about hate and is about this culture that we're all enmeshed in. I mean, you can't turn on the TV anymore without seeing parents and teachers and different political party members, just everyone's just warring against each other. And we can't even have dialogue with one another. We're cutting and canceling people left and right because of our discomfort. I mean, imagine if you went on a hike and at the first sign of discomfort, you're like, all right, I'm done. You would miss out on all the opportunities to connect with that land, to connect with yourself, the awe. And we're doing the same thing mm -hmm. for our relationships right now in this highly divisive moment. So I went on this 13 month road trip across the country and I was like, I'm queer. I'm progressive. I'm a person of color. I'm going to go to Trump rallies. I'm going to go to the South. I'm going to go to Appalachia. I'm going to go to the rural towns, mega churches. I'm going to meet people from Focus on the Family and anti-LGBTQ organization. And I'm going to, uh, who does anti-LGBTQ legislation. And I'm going to not just believe what other people are telling me that the, you know, who people from the South are, who people who vote for Trump are, but I'm actually going to go out there and meet them. And I know that we can find humanity. I know through our curiosity, we can find each other's hearts, learn about each other and move forward because I think that's what we all want to do. Holy macaroni. Okay. So that's <laughs> a very different reaction that I had to the election, mm. which was to mainline Nutella into my veins and just weep at the state of affairs. And here's the thing, what you're saying about going to talk to people and focus on the family and driving to these places that are clearly not rolling out the welcome mat for mm. the LGBTQ community. How did it feel in your body walking mm -hmm. into the first set of conversations. Like who, where did you start? Did you mm -hmm. go, I'm going to right to the heart of Texas or I'm going right. Where mm -hmm. did you start? How did you make those contacts? And how did you literally physiologically deal with mm -hmm. what I'm imagining must've been a little bit of anxiety or fear? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And look, there's nothing wrong with funneling Nutella into your veins when you're <laughs> approaching something that's really hard and challenging, right? I'm curiosity. It also includes taking care of yourself and knowing what you need in a moment that feels really difficult and challenging for you. And if you talk to any therapist, we all cope and we all react and respond to what's happening in life and in the world in different ways, right? Grief, for instance, we tackle the loss of a loved one in completely different ways. Yeah. So we can't just assume that our own experience is going to be the way that others are going to 
live out and experience like the 2016 election. So I honor that about you and how you, you. are on your own journey as was I. And the other piece is that uh, curiosity is like if you go to the gym and you lift weights, you wouldn't just start someone that's new on the journey by saying, okay, go and bench press 200 pounds. Like you could injure yourself or you could injure the person that's spotting you. So the same is true with curiosity. If you go into spaces where you're not really equipped or you don't have a sophisticated understanding of how to use curiosity, you could harm yourself or harm others in the process. So I think that's really important to start off with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in my body, I think, well, A, just thank you so much for bringing up the embodied because that's critical. I mean, it's something we have been disconnected from because our culture is so focused on the mind and we're losing all of this intelligence and wisdom and intuition and knowledge that comes from the body. And also it's just a tool for self-awareness. Like yeah. if I know my body more then I can be better in my decision-making, the way that I approach others, and I can recognize that in others as well. And to be truthful, for instance, when I was at the Trump rally, which was one of the first places I went to. Um, Holy bench I, press. <laughs> I felt, and this is after years of doing lots and lots of, even before the 2016 election, a lot of curiosity work and reaching across the divide. And I'm, I'm trained in intergroup contact and, and conflict management and moderation. And so I had a lot of training before I went to this Trump rally. It wasn't like I just drove up to a rally and I was like, okay, let me just start. Makes but sense. I did still feel so much anxiety and fear. I had all these stories in my head about who a Trump voter was, how they thought about people like me. My heart was beating so fast. I felt this pit in my stomach, like spiderwebs in my throat. My throat was so dry. And I remember, I I was just like, I just have to remember that we all share different parts of humanity, that if I can just be open to them, I have to just trust and take this leap of faith that they will also be open to me. I found out years later that the research does show that curiosity is contagious. So when you're curious about someone else, they tend to be curious about you and it creates this like spiral of beautiful exchange of curiosity. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you ask a question and someone else asks you a question, you ask a question back and it goes back and forth. Yeah. So I felt that at the Trump rally. It didn't matter that we voted in very different ways because I didn't put them on the defensive and say, why are you voting for this guy? Gosh, like it allowed them to open up about their stories or values. And I realized we actually shared a lot. And it actually made me feel more hopeful and optimistic about what this would mean for our country moving forward at a time when I had so much despair, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this, though. So for me, we all have the issues that trigger us the most Mm. emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. Or or that cause us to see, instead of seeing us, we see them. Mm -hmm. And for me, that issue can be reproductive rights. There's so much anger and fear and despair that I feel. And I'm so curious when you began that dialogue with the person at the Trump rally, who based on any assumption, any reasonable person would make, you would think they would be against you existentially before you even Mm -hmm. open your mouth. Where did you begin that conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really started by saying, Hey, I was honest about who I, I am. I think people can read deception pretty easily. I, you know, I had to decide, like, do I want to reveal things about myself? Do I yeah. not want to? And there were certain moments, and I talk about this in the book around limits and boundaries, right? If your physical safety is at threat, it's definitely in your best interest to be really smart about that and think about disclosure in a way that protects yourself. But in moments when it's just about discomfort, 
for me, it was more important to be really truthful and honest about who I was. Mm -hmm. But I also started the conversation not by saying who I was, but in focusing on the person I was being curious with. Hey, I have heard a lot of different things from the news and other people, but I know that the best way to get to know someone is just by talking to them and asking them questions. And we're standing in line here at the Trump rally waiting to get into the arena. And I have so many questions about you. I really just honestly want to understand who you are. I want to have a better picture of who you are based on your own stories, not on what other people or the media is telling me. And I recognize that there's probably so much we share. And just by saying something like that, it allows people to be like, hmm, like that's like, you know, I'm not coming in and being like, so why do you like vote for Trump anyway? Yeah. It, the, yeah. You're really laying the groundwork of saying, here's yeah. my intention yes. for standing with you and, and having a conversation with you. And then eventually it opens up that give and take again, like I said, and they're like, well, who are you? And it's like, well, I'm actually queer and progressive, but you know, I, I'm doing this exploration of understanding how we can come together as a country. And actually a lot of the people I was in line with, they were like, wow, that's so important because let me tell you about my girlfriend's friends and how they treat me. Or let me tell you about my family and the dinners that we have at family reunions. And no matter what side you're on politically, yeah. like there is that feeling of tension and rupture yeah. that's happening. And it's not just across politics, right? I, I soon found out it's across faith, age. We have OK Boomer, Entitled Millennials. Like there's so many different chasms that we need to bridge. And my mentor, John Powell, always says there's short bridges and long bridges, right? Long bridges are, wow, it's going to take a while for us to cross those differences. That's pretty irreconcilable. I have very strong beliefs about that. You have very strong beliefs about that. That might be women's rights. It could be LGBTQ yeah. plus equality. It could be yeah. reproductive rights, whatever it is, gun rights. Mm -hmm. But then there's shorter bridges, right? It's like, okay, we have differences in age, or maybe we live, you live in a rural town. I live in an urban city, or maybe we come from different faith traditions there might be some easier short bridges for you and that person to cross first as a way of building a relationship, exercising your curiosity together. Yeah. Yeah. And then for both people to realize, oh, this person's not here to attack me. We're yeah. here to develop a relationship, to understand one another. And then you can start to think about crossing those longer bridges. You don't have to start there though. Yeah. And that's true in a marriage. That's true in a work relationship. Start with the shorter ones. Yeah. Wow. There's so much I want to say about this. I mean, what do you do, Scott? If And I'm sure this happened to you now and again. But because of mirror neurons and the way we are sort of biologically wired, a lot of us, not all of us, to respond in kind to what we're seeing. Somebody fairly reasonable, I guess, would be, wow, this guy's asking me about me. I'm going to ask him about him. What happens when they don't? Mm -hmm, How mm -hmm. do you respond when you get you know, stone cold Ooh. response. Like, where do you go from there? Because I, I mean, think so having hard, that right? plan, like yeah. having a backup plan and being ready for that is, I think, part of the reps of getting ready to really engage because yeah. you know what to do in the extremes. I'm just curious what you think. about. Well, how do you feel? Can I ask you a question? Like, how do you feel yeah. when someone meets you? You're being curious, but someone meets you within curiosity. Like, how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel terrible. And yes, my go-to response is either you suck or I suck, which mm -hmm. is neither is a good, like I'm not interesting enough or you're just not interested and you suck. Yeah, but there's some kind what, of judgment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But so what I do, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, Scott, but I will, even on a date night, I'll be like, babe, what did you think about XYZ? And he'll be like, oh, I thought A and B and C. 
Mm-hmm. And it'll be quiet and I'll be like, okay, he hasn't asked me what I think. And then I'll be like, mm-hmm. would you like to know what I think? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I will sometimes feed my compadre mm-hmm. the line that I'm hoping they ask me, like, would you like to know what my backstory is? And mm-hmm. nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, mm-hmm. people are like, oh my God, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes, please mm-hmm. tell me. But when there's just a no, I respect the no and I... Well, here's what I would say to that. I mean, yes, me, I think me. when people aren't being curious to you, it feels like really bad in your body. It feels really bad in your mind because at the core of it, it, it means that you don't matter, right? Like, yes. I mean, it says your stories, your perspectives, your that doesn't matter to me. That's what it kind of signals, right? When yeah. someone isn't being curious towards you. But in contrast, when someone is being curious to you, what it's communicating is you do matter to me. Your stories and your perspectives are so valuable. It matters to me. That's why I'm asking you this question. I do want to nuance that piece on date night because I feel that same way. And what I had to realize is that, and I read about this in the book, Mm. that there is something called predatory curiosity, which is when curiosity is attached to an agenda or is attached to some kind of motive. It's what a detective might do. Looks like they're being curious. They're asking questions, right? They're open-ended questions, right? Yeah. But there's something underneath. And sometimes when I'm being curious, what my ulterior motive or my agenda is, I want someone to see me. I want to be heard. You know, I want space in this relationship, right? And that is a beautiful desire and need to communicate, but that's not true curiosity if that's the reason why you're asking questions. It really has to be about, I'm here to understand the person in front of me period. You know, this is about open heart, open mind. I'm here to understand you no matter what happens in return. It's a journey. A relationship's a journey, right? And when I came out, for instance, Mm -hmm. there were some family members that took a little bit of time to eventually understand what it meant that I was gay and Mm -hmm. that I identify in this way. Mm -hmm. And if I had cut them off because they were like, oh, maybe it's a phase or I don't get it, or they they weren't there on the journey yet, Mm -hmm. I would have missed out on all all of these really precious relationships that mean a lot to me. And I think most queer people know this. It takes time sometimes. And we have to give people the time to arrive at that place of understanding and love and acceptance. And when they do, it's so beautiful. And I think the same is true for our partners, for our friends, for the people we work with. It might take a little bit of time for them to get to that place where we feel that same level of acceptance and feeling seen and feeling loved. And the best thing we can do is to practice our own curiosity because of those mirror neurons. You're talking about the chameleon effect, right? When we (laughs) model curiosity, it's more likely that others are going to follow suit. But there are certain relationships where it's just not going to happen. I mean, I talked to a daughter who struggled with her mother and tried to be so curious with her every day, basically. And it was negatively harmful to her mental health, her partner, her children. They just did not have a good relationship. So she became curious with her therapist with the help of her therapist. And she realized, I need to go no contact with my mom. Like, this is important for me. This is a boundary I need to set to protect myself and my family. Yeah, That is also necessary sometimes, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm also not saying curiosity is boundaryless. I'm not saying you have to agree with people to be curious. I'm not saying you have to change your beliefs, right? A Christian and a Muslim getting curious about each other doesn't mean they're going to convert into yeah. the opposite faith, right? It's just, I didn't vote for Trump when I was curious about Trump voters. It's really about extending respect, love, and a desire to understand as a force for connection and transformation. That's really what I'm talking about here. It's amazing. And it it makes all the sense. And what I want to do next is get into a little bit about how you parse out deep yeah. curiosity. Because mm-hmm. this is, to me, one of the most important things about this book coming out is that 
we need a framework. Like we mm-hmm. need a, a way of framing up this issue and working mm-hmm. with it and putting it to use like a new muscle, like a new habit. And so talk about the language that you use to kind of frame it up. You are so good at narrative arts. Are you like a communication coach or something? Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, this is, it's such a great segue. And also goes back to that first question, which I can answer a little bit more around the how, is that I didn't want this to just be a book that's a big idea and like why curiosity is important. I wanted you to get that and to understand why it's important and get all the research for that. But I also wanted you to know how to use this. Mm -hmm. If you walked away with my book being like, great, curiosity is important, but what do I do? That's not a successful book to me. What a successful book would be is you learn curiosity is important, then you learn how to do it. And there's all of these fun, engaging, accessible ways to bring it into your home life, into your work life, into all the spheres of your life. So that's what Seek is about. Mm -hmm. And I frame it around a motto, which is a the dive model, the diving into deep curiosity, going beneath the surface, D-I-V-E, dive. And each letter stands for one of the core muscle groups of deep curiosity. So the D stands for detach, which is to let go of your ABCs, your assumptions, your biases, and certainty. Um, So your assumptions, biases, and certainty are things that hold you back from being curious, actually. So how do you challenge them? How do you interrupt them? I is intend, which is to set your mindset and setting for curiosity. So there's all of this research around how important it is to go, for instance, let's say you're doing healing through a psychedelic journey, psychedelic assisted therapy, your mindset and the setting you're in is really key for that journey. Mm -hmm. The same is true before you go on a trip and you travel somewhere to another country or before you go into a heated work meeting. Your mindset and the setting that you're in is really key and important. The same is true for curiosity. So how do you create curious mindsets and curious settings? That's I intend. Mm -hmm. V is value. How do you see the value and the dignity of everyone you're being curious with, which includes yourself? Because sometimes we're so curious about other people, but then when it comes to ourselves, we are not curious, right? Or sometimes we're very curious about ourselves, but when it comes to other people, not so much, right? Yeah. So we have to see the dignity of every person that includes ourselves. That's the value. And the last is E, embrace, which is to welcome the hard times in life. And actually in those moments when it's really challenging, when we're facing grief or heartbreak or we're moving or our family situation is changing or we're going through a career change. These are the moments when we especially need to be curious and we need to look in at ourselves, at what's around us, at the beyond. We have to be curious in all directions because that's when we need it the most, right? And I talked to folks in that chapter on Embrace um, to End of Life doulas. You know, one of the most anxiety and fear generating experiences in life is our death, you know, to die. And End of Life doulas if you don't know, or like for those that are listening, are like birth doulas. They they help people to die and those who are still living that are wrapping around the person who is dying to have a meaningful experience and to make it align to the values and the desires that the person that's dying has. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough, but beautiful work of accompanying and witnessing. And it's really powered by curiosity because just like any other thing in life, the way you want to die is so personalized and so individual. And that end of life dealer really has to understand what's important to them and how to best see them and hear them and also their loved ones through that process. And what they found is that when you are curious, even about something you're very, very anxious about, like death, your curiosity actually reduces your 
anxiety. So that's why a lot of palliative care physicians and end-of-life doulas, they'll use curiosity as a way to work with end-of-life anxiety. Get curious about what's the life that you've led? Who is surrounding you and has surrounded you in life? What's the legacy you left? How would you like to die? What would that look like with dignity? And those kinds of curious questions, even though it's it's so it feels counterintuitive at first because you're facing the thing you're so afraid of, getting curious about the things you're afraid of and anxious about is actually going to reduce your fear and anxiety. That seems like it would be true across the board in every category of mm-hmm. everything. Like I'm mm-hmm. just thinking I'm such an anxious person. Mm-hmm. And when I think about using curiosity as a way to mitigate that anxiety, just a lot of things open up for me. But when you think about all the stories and experiences you write about in your book, what's your favorite story or your favorite moment with another human being making contact through this Mm. deep curiosity or a story that's just top of mind? Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I think one that's top of mind I write about in the detached chapter And it's all about a group of millennials who are seeking spirituality and connection. And they move into a convent with nuns, Catholic nuns, Catholic sisters. So you have these millennials and women religious living together under the same roof. It was part of an effort called Nuns and Nuns. And nuns, N-U-N-S, and nuns, N-O-N-E-S, meaning not religiously affiliated And they have this beautiful experience of bringing people together in these salon formats around the three vows that you take as a women religious. And one of them is the vow of chastity. And especially for Sarah, who I wrote about in the book, who is a part of this effort, she initially had different ideas about what the vow of chastity is and meant. And for me too, right? And what she realized, and she uses the word so beautifully, is that she learned that the vow chastity isn't about oppressing women or having control over them. It's really about what she calls a deprivatization of love, which I love. Um, It's basically, if I am not so invested in this one person, I can extend all the love and compassion I have to so many other people, which is the journey of a woman religious, right? Yeah. They're on this. They're, that's why they're some of the best fundraisers, healthcare leaders, the Mercy Hospital system, like all the things you can think about that are run yeah. by sisters are really about spreading compassion yeah. and love and kindness to so many people. And they're just like fierce. They're, they're amazing. Oh, they're, the, I think. they're like the best part of the whole church. They're, they're, I had all these ideas of what a sister was before I went to the convent of, you know, oh, they wear habits and they have like the, you know, but they're like hip and they are on the front lines and they care about climate change. And I was just like, what? This is so amazing. And it's just like, what can happen when we actually get curious about people instead of just seeing the caricature or the stereotype of who they are? And this applies, you're right, in any situation, right? What you can, people are anxious at work and you can bring curiosity into that space to reduce your anxiety. Maybe you have a tense conflict in your team, or maybe there's someone in that you supervise that you're, it's a challenging relationship, right? The way that you can reduce that conflict and actually navigate through it better is by introducing curiosity, right? Like having a space for asking questions and getting to understand each other's perspectives. So I I love it. It's a super power that we're all born with. And it is something we don't always like pull out to use, but has so much benefit. And curious people are happier people. That's what the research says. And I want to live a happier life. Curious people tend to have more meaning in their lives, more life satisfaction. Like there's all of this amazing research around what curious people have 
and the lives that they lead. So, the I mean, rich, those are great. Yeah. I want that. I want life yeah. satisfaction. I want meaning. I want happiness. <laughs> yeah, so. so I, wa- I want to talk a little bit too about like, it seems to me that now more than ever, there are these different realities we're living in, mm-hmm. right? There's the reality that the news media and even just the entertainment business cooks up for us. And that mm-hmm. reality is whether it's scripted or unscripted programming or the news or whatever, mm-hmm. is we're valuing like super sick burns, high conflict moments. They get more clicks, the more provocative it is. We're mm-hmm. like in the sort of artificial world, the mm-hmm. artificial reality that we consume all the time and whatever algorithm we're in is prioritizing these things that don't actually add up to a life well-lived, mm-hmm. right? Like just mm-hmm. because I, mm-hmm. I came up with like the sickest comeback, mm-hmm. that's not going to actually shore up treasures in mm-hmm. my innermost self, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the other reality where we can inhabit where people like you and I or or the person you talked to at the Trump rally or whatever, or the nun with the nun, that reality is so beautiful and saturated with meaning and possibility. And there's something so quantum about that reality. Mm-hmm. What do you make of those two dueling versions of life that we're coping Mm. with all the time. Like, how do you function? Do you not look at the news? Like, how do you navigate between those two different realities? Yeah. And again, it's just so individualized, right? And it really requires us to start I always tell people to start with inward curiosity, mm-hmm. get to know yourself, get to know what you really need. For some people, it might be icing out the media or just closing off on certain parts of reality so that you can just function as a human. Yeah. And then that's the foundation which you build upon. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if we're going to have a sustainable society, we need to have the fourth estate. Like we need to have media. We need to we be do. aware and we need to hold truth to power. I was trained as a journalist. Like yeah. that's really key. And so mm-hmm. eventually it's about coping and building a foundation so that you can grow into a place where you can start to take in the media and start to recognize your own media consumption habits and start to recognize like, oh, am I only being fed one side of the story? How do I broaden my perspective? What are ways I can challenge my own views? What are the ways I can introduce spirited arguments that aren't about attacking people, but are actually working through different beliefs or perspectives so that we can all collectively grow. Like those are such different, you know, uh, I think that's a worthwhile goal for us to move towards. And it requires us to be grounded in order to do that. So start by getting inwardly curious, figure out what you need, and then grow to that place that's about extending that curiosity towards others. And you'll find that so much can happen when we don't cancel or judge people, but instead we call them in as Loretta Ross says, and we actually open ourselves up to a relationship with them, which sometimes means we're not always going to agree. And I also think that there's a lot in our culture that's kind of ripping us apart and and like social media, entertainment, it's driving this what I call era of incuriosity. That's something we have to be aware of and we have to do what we can to just be mindful of that and be aware of that. And I've been working a lot on working within entertainment and working in Hollywood. And I think, especially scripted TV, because we actually do change our mindsets and our behaviors because we 
spend hours and hours with a character and we build what's called a parasocial relationship with them. That's right. And we start to say like, oh, wow, this character on screen is gay. Like, I don't know anyone that's gay, but I know this person's gay. And yeah. you start to change your relationship. So important. Your yeah. mindset's so important. So I understand the powerful and positive impact of entertainment as well, if it's wielded in the right way. So I also think about that. How can I get curious about the systems that exist and how can we shift them and make them serve us and our planet instead of having us destroy or be divisive towards yeah. ourselves or the planet. You're the real deal, Scott, because it's so funny. I just asked you a question that I thought you would have such a strong perspective on and you brought the curiosity. Thing. <laughs> like it's in your DNA for real. I was on your website and I saw that you did a project with David Byrne. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, what mm -hmm. was that? Yeah, so... And is it connected to curiosity at all? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So David Byrne has part of an amazing team that he works alongside, has this great initiative called Reasons to be Cheerful. It's an online publication, basically, that feeds us a different perspective of the news and things that are happening that are solutions or that are positive that we should also be aware of. Because sometimes the news feeds us just the negative and just what's wrong. And so we need to have a balance with that because there's also a lot that's going right too. Yeah. And the same is true in our relationships, by the way. This isn't just the media. Sometimes we over-focus in our marriage with our kids, with our work relationships on the negative, but we don't yeah. often leave space for the good and what we are grateful for. But as a part of that reasons to be cheerful, yeah, we co-created this initiative called We Are Not Divided. So the same thing. Yes, there is toxic polarization. Yes, there is social division. It is true that it is at a height right now and we can all feel it. It's like the air we breathe, right? Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, there are so many incredible people that are actually building those bridges and are trying to create a society in which we are actually pluralistic and we're actually moving towards belonging and we're actually able to have hard and tough conversations about things that we disagree with. And so that's where we put a spotlight on. And all of these different news outlets like The Guardian and BBC and or CBC and like all of these different networks aired some of the content we created. And then I did like a dialogue series where I interviewed folks like someone from who is connected to the Human Rights Campaign, which is a pro-LGBTQ organization and someone from Focus on the Family, which does anti-LGBTQ legislation. And they were in conversation together. Or Rai, who led the Statement Gathering Initiative for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the TRC in Canada, which was about helping non-Indigenous people understand the realities of residential schools, which has impacted so many Indigenous people in Canada. Generations. And generations so that they can move forward towards reconciliation and healing and towards making sure that harm doesn't happen again in that country ever again. And so there are really powerful videos there. And yeah, David's the real deal. Like, at least for me, I definitely feel like he is smart. He gets it. He totally understands what's at stake. And yeah, I, I hope to do many more projects with him and others is, who are interested. Yeah, That is so cool. I just was so curious. So where I kind of want to end here is with a question about perspective taking, because I think it's really interesting mm -hmm. that the, what did you call it? You called it the three cardinal lenses. Directions. Yeah. Directions. directions. Yeah. Outward, inward, beyond. Mm -hmm. First of all, I want you to talk a little bit about beyond a little mm -hmm. bit more. Mm -hmm. And then next, I would like to know whether you have rituals in place every day that connect mm. you with all three. As a oh my God, I love, yes, love. And then I want to hear your rituals too, no, because I think that's really, let's like jam on that. 
Yeah. And it's interesting that you started, I don't know, maybe there's nothing here, but I just picked up that you started with outward. And I wonder if that's because that's the direction you tend to use a lot. And inward was smushed in there between. Yeah, so it was just, I was just interested in that. And yeah. I was just, maybe there was nothing there, but maybe there is something about what are the directions that we tend to lean into more or less and how that can just help us to grow when we're more aware of that. Like for me, I'm definitely way better and more impulse to do outward curiosity. Yes. And I've had to work a lot on the inward curiosity. But you asked about so beyond, wise. which is so important. And I think, again, this might not be religion for some people. It might just be seven generations from now. What is the world going to look like? And how can I make the tiniest or the largest of impact, whatever feels right to you, to help those who are going to be born seven generations from now to live on an earth that is habitable, first and foremost, mm -hmm. and B, where a culture is uplifting and supporting and giving them everything that they need to thrive in this world. I think that's what we want. If you're a parent, that's what you want for your kids. I think that's what any of us want for those who come after us. So I think the beyond is just how do we get out of just my own self? How do I get out of just the people that are proximate and around me and start thinking way far out. It also works in the opposite direction. I think a lot about my ancestors, not just who they are, but what they've taught me, what values and what a legacy that they've given to me that I'm going to carry on. My dad, before he died, he told me a story of multi-generations ago, a great-grandma was basically like a noble princess, like descendant of the samurai, but fell in love with a farmer who was not looked at in with reverence or exhaustion, but they let love connect them and they defied sort of social class strata, which was a big deal in Japan at that time. And they, you know, created this beautiful life together and they bridged, they bridged for love. And I think for me, that's the journey ah, I'm on, just like my ancestors amazing. is I'm trying to create a bridge for love that even in a world that says you shouldn't do this, this doesn't work or don't be with the other side, the enemy. We have to find that sense of love and that sense of humanity and come together and we'll find that we can actually live a really beautiful life and 16 generations or however many generations down the line, someone like me can like be able to thrive and live in the world. And so I thank them for that. So that's, that's so what the beyond beautiful. is about. It's so interesting as you were speaking, I was thinking about how hard that cross-generational thinking is for Americans. Mm. Our culture is mm -hmm. so immediate, individual, all the things. And it's, I think the biggest opportunity we have to evolve is to get past that mindset. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think that in Japanese culture, it's so baked into the system mm -hmm. to honor that many generations back and many generations forward. Do you think that there's a possibility to get better at that broader aperture, that broader appreciation mm -hmm. across generations? Yeah. I mean, just by design, right? Let's just talk. And maybe this is a moment we can bring in the rituals too, because I think yes. they're connected. Yes. But just by design, our society, for instance, is so segregated by age, right? We don't think about it, but 
you know, I have been working with this amazing organization called Code Generate, and they helped me to really, you know, they bring the generations together to create mm. positive social change. And one of the things I learned is that one of the fastest growing populations in the US by the census is the villages, which is a retirement community. So you have these retirement communities that are growing really, really fast, yeah. which means that you have all of this wisdom yeah. stories, but also resources like yeah. in real ways both financial and beyond that are sort of in these communities that don't have people under the age of let's say 55 or 60 yeah. and then you have the younger that are in another maybe they're in schools and maybe the only interactions they get with people across generations or like with teachers but that's limited right because we're not living in intergenerational households anymore i mean i grew up in an intergenerational household with three generations that was so yeah. valuable for me yeah. but i think the trend is different nowadays and so just by systemic design we are very segregated across age so we have to put an extra emphasis and intention which is why I intend is in the dive model in seek in my book, because if we just allowed the world to do its thing and just like passively engaged with it, so you know, true. then nothing's really going to change. Right. But if yeah. we acknowledge, wow, we're very segregated by age. Yeah. I don't live with my aging parents anymore or my kids. Like I want to create more of a connection to that or yeah. even beyond my own family. Like they should have interactions with people younger and older. Yeah. We have to set the intention mm. and we have to be really thoughtful about integrating that into our life. So you go to cultural festivals if it's about experiencing different parts of the world. You don't have to have tons of money and travel the world. Yeah. Like you can go to your local community festival and learn that way, right? It's that so broadens true. your perspective. The same is true for age. Where are the places that people are often hanging out across different generations? I think about public institutions like a library, going yeah. to a talk and like talking to people who are in your community who are all different ages. So yeah. I think that intention is super important and the rituals you create, right? So for me, I think a really important ritual for me connecting with people that are older than me is getting out into nature, right? Like I learned how to pick mangoes out of trees in Hawaii, like the mango tree in our backyard from those that came before me who saw it as necessary to grow things that we could eat, but also who have a deep connection to land in ways that I have a lot to learn about. And so getting out into nature and experiencing that with people younger and older is a great ritual that I have to connect with people who are different from me. And I think there's something just about being in the awe of nature that reminds yeah. us of our humanity. I, I remember agree. seeing the Northern Lights for the first time when I lived in Iceland. And I was like, what even matters in life than just us being human and trying to love each other? And what really separates us? And so I always tell people, let's get more connected to nature. That's a great way of coming into this work. What about that, for you? That is so <laughs> awesome. That is so awesome. It's such an interesting question. Prayer is a big ritual for mm. me for that broader perspective taking. My biggest challenge is just my inability to be in the present moment because there's so many things going mm. on with children and mm. aging parents and mm. the work and all the things totally. and the marriage and the dog and I was watching my dog itch this morning and I was like, that poor sucker probably mm. doesn't have his itch medicine mm. and I need to get the itch medicine. And then I'm spinning. So for me, I very naturally see that perspective of generations behind and generations forward. And we're so tiny. It, for me, my rituals are about remembering and just mm. coming back to quiet long enough to be like, oh yeah, this is just a moment in time. And right now is the only thing I'll ever have. Mm. So let me just 
settle into this moment. So Mm. my rituals tend to be carving out time in the morning to just be my little tiny self, my little tiny speck on this big, giant, magnificent spinning planet that's hurling Mm. itself through space. Mm. So my rituals are really about remembering, but I also love getting out into nature too. And I don't do it enough. I had this interaction with this woman on the trail and I don't know what language she was speaking on the trail, Mm -hmm. but she had a very heavy accent. And we had this moment looking at this bird in this tree Mm -hmm. and we kind of fumbled our way through with our in-between language we were speaking. Mm -hmm. And we had such a moment because we Mm -hmm. knew what we were both looking at. We didn't really need words. It was such an example of what you're talking about, which is she didn't look like me. She didn't sound like me. We had very different outfits on Mm -hmm. and literally her language was different. And yet we absolutely understood each other because we were checking out this bird. I love that. It was awesome. And to me, like the things we think are going to nourish us, like Mm -hmm. money or status or wealth, It's those moments that Mm. fill us up. And I think it's so relatable to juggle so many things, by the way. I think so many people listening can relate to that. And that's why I really appreciated your earlier question on embodiment, because so much of anxiety lives in the mind and then percolates into the body. And so a way of meeting that is by getting back into the body. And I talk about this in the book, Quicksanding, you know, when we're feeling like we're in metaphorical quicksand and we're in overwhelm and we're sinking and there's no way of getting out. What you actually want to do if you're actually in quicksand is not freak out and flail. And you want to do what seems counterintuitive, which is to slow down and take deep breaths. And you actually want to shake your legs a little bit because that frees up the sand and makes you more buoyant. And that would get you to the surface. And then you can kind of get out of the quicksand. Same is true metaphorical of quicksand. Taking a walk for 10 minutes and looking at a bird, 10 minutes, but does wonders for anxiety and does wonders for us to have clarity and better decision-making and to just bring more happiness into our life. And it just makes us more curious too when we give ourselves that moment of slow, intentional movement. So, yeah. And that is really true. Actually, you just said something so important, which is it's so much easier to practice deep curiosity and to make it a muscle and to make it a habit if you have enough space in your heart to be Mm -hmm. curious. Mm -hmm. I noticed the more stressed Mm -hmm. I am, the less I even remember the word curious. This was such a joy. I am so excited for your book to come out. The people can find Seek. They can find it in all the places. It's Mm -hmm. coming out mid-November. 14th. I'm just wishing you all the best, Scott. It's such Mm. a necessary topic. And I thank you because writing a book is not easy. And Mm. And you don't do it alone. So many people help you. Mm -hmm. Good to Mm -hmm. know. Good Mm -hmm. to know. As somebody that would love to write a book someday. Thank you. Hey, if you haven't already, hit subscribe so you can get my latest podcast episodes delivered hot off the press or share this with someone who could use it. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe and get on that newsletter. You get fresh tips every Monday morning to set you up for the week. And on the last Saturday of the month, you'll get a short email with my favorite things that I'm into. If you're dealing with a tough client or work situation and you need better skills for managing hard conversations, check out my No Enemy Conversation course. It's at noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com and it is self-paced and it is all there for you. Lastly, if your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually or in real life, I am your gal. I have 
two dozen different fantastic keynote topics. And you and I, we can make something killer happen. So shoot me a note and let's do it. That's Bronwyn at bronwyncommunications.com. Take care and shine on. We need your light.